Welcome, everyone. <coughs> so glad that we have technology that we can still join together. Even though we have a blizzard coming, all kinds of craziness. Um, so either way, super grateful that we're able to still come together, join online. Uh, pray that you're doing well uh, whenever you're tuning into this. So in every sermon, I try my best to come up with a phrase. Some beautiful, profound thought about the passage that is going to stick with you for the rest of your life. And you know, for the life of me, I haven't been able to do that with this sermon. <laughs> I'm not sure why. It feels like this passage has thrown me for a loop in regards to my normal pattern of, of doing things. So I usually, my normal pattern, I usually study the passage. I pray that God would give me the words to say. And then like a ton of bricks, he hits me with it. Then I sit and I'll, I'll write for seven hours straight and just, just come up here and just proclaim God's word, but, but not this time. So this time, this time I studied and I prayed and I thought, I thought I was on the right track. I wrote for four hours straight and then I deleted every single word that I wrote. I had to completely stop for, for a while, just out of sheer frustration, not understanding what was going on. This had never happened to me before. I had to, to stop. I had to compose myself and then start all over. I had to start again. So I went back to the basics. I started over. I went and I restudied this passage. I prayed. I, I gave it to the Lord and then was struck with supernatural inspiration. So I began to write. And as I was in the process of writing this again, I was notified I had to have everything for the sermon done and ready to go way earlier than usual because of this special blizzard that's, that's coming into our region. Oh, and by the way, just so everyone knows, we've canceled all of our services. So that's just one more, it's just one more thing. Oh, and the other thing, yeah. And we have to, uh, we have to live stream COVID style with no one in the room. There's no one here right now, just so everyone knows. <laughs> and on top of that, I've had two of the worst weeks in ministry I've had in a long time. So it seemed like every issue and problem that could arise, not just within this sermon, but within ministry, it, it has. Have you ever had those days where it just feels like the, the target is so big on your back? It's like God decided to sanctify you in every way all at once. That's, that's been about the last couple weeks for me. As I sat thinking through all this, how much I don't like going off the paved road I'm used to, going into different territory, dealing with so many issues and so many problems, I realize that God, as per usual, for every sermon I get to preach, was giving me practical application to the text that I'm about to open up with you. Every time, without fail. <laughs> this entire book of 2 Corinthians is a walk down uncharted territory for Paul. Instead of just going from town to town, sharing this beautiful good news of Jesus, seeing the gospel illuminate hearts and lives, he's having to go off script. He's instead having to, to fight to defend this good news he would die for. He's having to defend his name for the sake of this good news and passionately rebuke these people and put them back into their place. 
So I, I know it must sound pretty cocky to put myself in this, the situations I'm in, even close to the same as Paul, but just hear me out. Hear me out for a second. Don't shut me out yet. In my mind, it's similar because it all comes down to what compels us and trusting in the Lord with the outcome. We could get so caught up in the details that we could lose sight of the main thing and swerve off of where we should be. Paul, for the sake of not wanting conflict, he could have gone several different ways, right? He could have watered down the gospel for the sake of appeasing the people and hopefully smoothing things over because they were being so mean to him. He could have just watered it down and twisted it and distorted the good news to, to fit in with what they wanted for the sake of just appeasing them and smoothing it over. Or maybe just to get them back to trusting him so then he could really share the truth. He could have turned to the world. In Corinth, there was money, as it's been talked about previously. There was money. There was luxury. There's blindness to the truth because they want the world and what the world has to offer. Paul could have given up right there. Why should he have to take this much grief from these ridiculous people and he could have gone with the whole ignorance is bliss approach? But instead, he goes harder and more passionately than ever towards the light for the sake of the light. Never giving up on the people or the ministry. Again, it's, it's not like I can actually compare but I realized I could have done the same thing if I were to, to have given in to the lies. One, I could have just watered this down so it's easier to write. Tell a few stories, sprinkle some Jesus in there, and just be done with it. Two, I could have just given up and given in. These last few weeks have been really hard for me. Preaching is too hard. Ministry is too hard. I'm done. The world seems better. It's so much easier out there. Right? Sin is just so much easier. You can just do whatever you want. But I refuse with every fiber of my being those first two things. So even though drastically different, these two stories are still very similar. And I feel like this can actually connect with each and every one of us each and every day. So are you, within your home or your workplace or wherever it might be, are you, are you going to water down the word with people as just to avoid conflict or to pull out just what you want, maybe just what someone else might want? Are you just going to give in and give up just deciding that it's okay to be blinded by the world and what it has to offer just to give into the world. Or maybe you're realizing right here, right now, that you've been blind this entire time. The world has been your focus this entire time. Maybe God right here, right now, this morning, through these words that Paul wrote that we're going to study, is revealing to you the blindness so that maybe this morning you would see the truth. Or are you going to stand up for the gospel? 
for the sake of God, for his glory, for his kingdom, are you going to proclaim this gospel no matter how difficult it is? Are you going to passionately proclaim it for the world to hear? For the sake of God, for his glory, for the kingdom, are you going to proclaim it for real? Not watering it down, not giving into the world. So no, like I said at the beginning, I couldn't pull one single phrase out of these verses that would hopefully stick with you. Instead, it's three simple words. It's three simple words. And that is the water, the blind, and the light. The water, the blind, and the light. As we go through these verses, I want you to think through who you are and where you're at within these three. Would you rather have the water the blindness, or the light. Now, without further ado, I'm going to trust the Lord right now. (laughs) Never water down his word. Proclaim this good news for the sake of the blind, and by his grace, point you directly to the light that pierces the darkness. Let's pray before we dive in. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just come before you, um, just... Your humble servant, Lord, um, you are in control. You are the strength that I need, Lord. You are the, the beautiful Savior. You're the, the beautiful creator, Lord God. I pray that this morning you would be in the details of the service, Lord. You would speak through me, that you would use this time for your glory, God. That you would use this time um, for the sake of changed lives. I pray that anyone watching this right now, Lord, that anyone listening to this right now, God, that you would use this to change their life. That they would not walk away from this sermon uh, just with another, oh, that was, that, was, that was another sermon. God, I pray that, that there would be true heart change from this. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I alluded to previously, the context of this book, in a nutshell, is that people were accusing Paul of being a fraud. They were claiming that he couldn't possibly be an apostle because he had nothing. He wasn't very good at talking. He was a broken man. So how could this broken man, not very good at talking, has nothing, how could he be an apostle of Jesus? Paul, in this book, in 2 Corinthians, is defending, not necessarily himself, sometimes he is, but all of it for the sake of the gospel he's proclaiming. All the defense that's happening within this book of 2 Corinthians is for the sake of the good news of Jesus Christ. Which brings us directly into the first word of the first verse in 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. And that first word is, therefore. Therefore, this word is, is something Paul uses all the time to point back to what was just said. Not just point back to what was just said, but how it relates to what is about to be said. This particular, therefore, is pointing back to chapter 3, talking about how the old has faded and the new has come. The old law versus the new covenant. The old law that pointed out the truth that we as human beings in this fallen sinful world can never be perfect. The old law showed our need for rescuing. 
The sacrifices talked about through Leviticus and the rest of the Old Testament were a direct foreshadowing of Jesus who would come to be the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. The old law was the perfect way prior to Christ to point directly to him. We can't do it on our own. We need a savior. Jesus, who is fully man, fully God, came to this place a servant. He lived the perfect life, died the perfect death, and rose again for our sake. Not to abolish the old law, but to fulfill it. Matthew 5.17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. It's not by the old law that there was healing. It was by Jesus' wounds that we are healed. The old law pointed to Jesus, and Jesus is the reason that we are healed. First Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. It does not say by the old law you have been healed. If we go back to Genesis 3.15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the proto-gospel. This is the very first time the gospel is presented in Scripture. And we see our creator from the beginning of time putting in place the rescue plan that would put us back in a right relationship with him. The old law was a part of this rescue plan. It's not the thing that rescued, but almost like a map, it pointed to the true treasure, the true savior. This is what that therefore is there for. To point us directly back to not only chapter 3, but the entirety of this book up to this point. Because as we begin to dive into these short six verses, we see how they link the entire book together. He continues in verse 1 after therefore saying, and this is 4-1, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Having this ministry. Taking into consideration the therefore, we see that this ministry he's speaking of is the proclamation of the gospel. The preaching of truth. The truth of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus that if we believe in him, if we repent of our sins, sets us free. Takes our sins and puts them on the cross. This is the ministry of Paul by the mercy of God. It's apropos that Paul would mention this ministry directly after chapter 3 where he was pointing out the fading of the old law in the bright, shining new covenant that truly saves. The old that points to the Savior and the new bringing into play the true Savior. It's apropos because it takes us back to the people of Corinth in the original context that we talked about of the book and one of the reasons that Paul even wrote to them. Some of these people were calling Paul out for being a fraud. 
How in the world could this poor, broken man be an apostle? He has nothing, like we said originally. He's beaten, shipwrecked, rejected. Within this, they were making the accusation that his message to them was not accurate. At the end of this first part of the verse, of verse one, we see Paul expressing that in this ministry we discussed, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. How awful would it feel to be Paul? <laughs> you love these people so much, and they, they reject him. They reject this ministry that he speaks of. The ministry God has allowed him to be a part of sharing this good news. Instead of appreciating God working through Paul for their sake, they say he's a liar. Any of you in here, not in here, out there, any of you out there with kids, I want you to take a minute and put yourself in Paul's shoes. Sometimes I think it's hard to fully grasp the emotion from Scripture until you understand what they're going through. So let's say you have, you have a son or a daughter that you do everything for. You love them so much, and things are great for a while until they get a little older. All of a the sudden, they completely reject you. They 100% completely reject you. They want nothing to do with you, all because you don't have very much money. You don't look like all the other parents around, so they call you a fraud. They break your heart. Thinking about this for myself, it's devastating. If one of my kids ever did this, I, I know there's only one direction I could go to get through it. There's only one direction that you can go if you have a child, a wayward child, that is completely rejecting you. There's only one direction as a, as a believer that you can go, and that's trusting the Lord. Living out Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. This passage means so much to me, I actually have it tattooed on my arm. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Paul was living this out, trusting in the Lord with all his heart, even though it seemed hopeless. Because these people, his spiritual children, were rejecting him, calling him a liar. And right here at the beginning, this is exactly, this is exactly what Paul is saying. We have this ministry. We've loved you all in every, in every way, but you've rejected us. But, but, by the mercy of God, we have this ministry. Therefore, we do not lose hope. By the mercy of God, we have this ministry. Therefore, we do not lose hope. Even though you've abandoned us, even though you've rejected us, we trust the Lord. Because he's the one that has given us this opportunity to even share this with you. He's allowed us to be a part of this ministry to you. So we don't lose hope because God's the one that gave it to us. We trust him. We will never stop loving you. We will never give up on this ministry of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with you. I have the innumerable things that I love about Paul. 
One of them is his passion. Not just passion for any old thing, but his passion for the good news of Jesus Christ. This message, as I said previously, that he would die for. I think that's important to repeat because there's very few things in life that people are willing to die for. This right here is what Paul was willing to die for. I am willing to die for, and I pray that any of you um, that truly profess Christ would be willing to die for this good news of Jesus Christ. As we continue on in verse 2, we get to see this passion I was talking about light up. And I absolutely love it. It says this in 2 Corinthians 4.2. But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. So as I, as I was reading this, it reminded me so much of uh, my family growing up. Well, actually still to this day. Anytime scripture is mentioned in my family, you better be prepared to have a solid conversation about it. Sometimes it gets heated, but it's never in anger. We just so desire the truth to be understood, so passionately discussing the beautiful words of scripture, sometimes we can kind of go off. Those passions just flare. Like I said, in a good way. We just love the Lord so much and we love his word so much, we just really get into it. And this is exactly how I read this when Paul was writing. It feels like fiery passion to me, defending the truths of God's word. You can't read it, but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. You, you cannot read it that way. I feel like everyone would be falling asleep. The Corinthians wouldn't take it. They wouldn't even listen to him. No, that is not how you should read it all. It is. But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. It's passionate. In my mind, this had to have been one of the most upsetting things that Paul had to write in this letter. The fact that he even has to write these words to defend what he said in the truths of Scripture must have felt absolutely ridiculous. If we dig a little deeper into each of these things, we see Paul's defense clearly for the true gospel message and also his intentions within the ministry. Number one, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. Or in other translations, it says, renounced hidden things of shame. So this seems to be a direct response from Paul to the Corinthians in regards to them calling him a hypocrite. Saying that he has a secret life of sin that he's not repentant of. And Paul basically is saying, come at me. Let's go. I'm an open book. Anything you want to know about me, let's go. I do not have a secret life. Come at me. Then number two, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. So this, this section of verse two is what I would call the water that we talked about earlier, and here's why. This phrase speaking of cunning and tampering was actually well known at the time. In ancient Middle East, these phrases would be used for wine merchants diluting their wine with water, watering down the product. 
So Paul is, as I said uh, previously, he's passionately denying ever watering down God's word. And what I mean by watering down is taking God's word and twisting it to fit what you want. It's removing pieces of scripture you or someone else doesn't agree with um, or or you just don't want to offend somebody. At its core, it's distorting scripture. One of my favorite examples of this, once again, I have it tattooed on me, is Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I love this passage, and I put this on my arm for, for a reason because of the conversation behind it, being able to talk to people about it, because it's taken so far out of context, it's so watered down, because people see this and go, oh man, I literally can do anything because of Christ who strengthens me. Oh, I can do all things. I can go run 20,000 miles if I wanted to. I see it all the time on athletic wear. Like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is not the context at all, and that's watering down scripture. It's taking a piece of scripture and morphing it and distorting it to what you want it to look like for your sake. I feel like most people would not want to, to, be, to be using this um, for, for that purpose because if you look at the true context— The verses prior to this, Paul is saying, I am content in all things. You have this beaten, broken, shipwrecked man that is content in all things. Therefore, because he's content, he can do all things through Christ. Not that he can go and lift 3,000 pounds if he wanted to. He's saying, I'm content. And I feel like a lot of people, especially in America, would go, oh, that's kind of icky. No, thank you. It's icky because... I, I don't really necessarily want to be content in all things if I'm beaten and broken and bruised and I have rags for clothing. No, they want to take this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is an example of watering down God's word. So I use this phrase, won't water down scripture a lot. You can actually, if you go to the website, I'm going to plug for it, www.windsorchurch.org. There you go. If you go to the website, you can go to student ministry, and under curriculum, you'll actually find that phrase. Because I'm passionate about never watering down God's word, ever. I'll never try to make it more palatable for someone. Any of you that know me, you know that that is 100% true. I'll never try to make it so we only pull the stuff out we want and leave the rest behind. It's not the the Jefferson Bible. Thomas Jefferson used to do that. He used to pull things out that he didn't want, and he just had this this Bible left that was just a shell of what it used to be for what he wanted. I'll never do that. So I understand Paul's passion in this and the importance of emphasizing it. So you can see this occurring from the time the church began to now, and all it does is promote a false gospel. That's all it does. Take a look at false prophets like Joel Olstein. This guy must think that he is God's gift to humanity, and he must know something we don't, making it all about prosperity. Health and wealth. Well, sorry, Joel. That is called tampering with Scripture, because in no way is that what Scripture says. In fact, you're spewing the false doctrines that the Corinthians started taking a liking to. Hence why they thought Paul was discredited because he did not have health and wealth. 
Watering down scripture, watering down the true gospel promotes a false gospel and keeps people in perpetual darkness because they don't want to see the truth. They want it to be rainbows and gumdrops. I'm getting slightly ahead of myself, but we'll circle back to that in a bit. But from this first word we talked about comes the first question, the water. Are you drowning in the water? Are you watering down scripture so you can live life the way that you want to? Or do you see scripture for how it truly is? Are you compelled to live your life for truth no matter how difficult it may be? Or are you compelled to hear what you want for the sake of your own comfort? So after Paul ensures the people understand the things he and in, in the ministry are completely opposed to, he continues on in verse 2 with this. 4-2. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone con- everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So this is, a, this is a very bold statement that Paul's making. He's basically saying, as God is my witness, the true judge... Everything I'm saying and everything I have said is true. Each of you, not just the Corinthians, examine this. Look deep and see if there's anything wrong here. It reminds me of Acts 17.11, which says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. This is what Paul's saying. He's like, examine this. Examine me. Examine this ministry. Check it. See if it's fake, because it's not. Paul commending himself was not a bad thing here. It was just one more way for him to definitively reassure the people that the gospel spoken is true. The words he used are true, and that he, again, would die for this truth. Which brings us into verses 3 and 4, which say, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So these verses right here bring into play the second word we talked about, and that is blind. Blind. The gospel Paul is trying to share with all people is veiled to those who are perishing. And the God of this world, who is Satan, has blinded their minds to keep them from seeing the gospel truth. To keep them from seeing Jesus. So I feel like at first glance, a lot of people might be like, what? (laughs) Huh? How in the world does Satan have that much power to blind these people? So... Just to get this right, because he blinds them, they have no hope. They can't see Jesus. They can't understand the gospel. So as I was thinking through these verses, as I was praying through it, trying to fully understand it, a story popped into my head, and that is Hansel and Gretel. Hansel and Gretel. The 1812 story, this is from the Grimm brothers, and that's following a uh, little German brother and sister they're abandoned in the woods, and they come across this, this cute little house made of all kinds of delicious sugary treats. So the owner of the home, she's an old lady who invites them in, nice old lady invites them in for as much food as they want. 
So I'm sure most of you know the story. So for the sake of uh, kids watching, the old lady was very bad. She wasn't who the kids thought she was. She wasn't who the kids thought that she was. She had lured them in with, with all these delicious things. And the kids at the beginning didn't realize that all those things the old lady lured them in with could have been their doom. Hopefully that was G enough for everybody. The reason the story reminds me so much of these verses is because Satan lures people in with the world. He blinds people by sin. Entices people with all they could ever want, which hardens their hearts to hear or care about Jesus or the gospel in any way. God desires all men to come to him. 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4 says, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. But some men want nothing to do with him. They're blinded by what Satan has to offer. The other thing it reminds me of is the movie The Matrix. Not recommending it, just using it as an example. People are completely blinded to the fact that they're not in a true reality. And some that even knew about the fact that they weren't, weren't in true reality decided to stay blind because ignorance is bliss. They're following the path of death, blind to the truth, so entranced by the goodies and sweets that they don't see death right in front of their face. Satan wants people trapped. He doesn't want people to see the beautiful glory of Jesus. The issue isn't that Satan has the power to trap people. The issue is that the people are so blind that they can't see past the bitter truth. He presents these beautiful things in front of them, and they're trapped. It's like giving someone a virtual reality headset. It wouldn't matter if you lit a match right in front of their face. They wouldn't see it. But God, in his loving kindness, will never stop trying to reach the lost, broken, blinded world. And this right here is at the, it's at the heart of Paul's ministry that he talked about at the very beginning. Never cease sharing this good news of Jesus, even if it falls on deaf ears. Even if the whole of the people refuse to listen. You never know what God will do with that one seed from the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, also a tattoo. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So Paul right here, he's living this out. He's running the race. He's fighting the good fight. Which brings me to our second question from the beginning. 
Are you compelled by the world or by the truth? If the world and what you want are the, at the forefront, do you acknowledge the virtual reality world Satan wants you trapped in? Or is God stirring in your heart to take it off and look to the light? If the light is what compels you, are you living out what Paul was doing? Sharing the word no matter what, in season and out. Which leads us to our final word from the beginning, and that is the light. Up to this point, we've seen Paul's passion flare, defending for the sake of truth. Always in the midst of defense, pointing straight back to God and his loving kindness. Pointing back to his mercy that never fades. And pointing back to everything that we were talking about previously. my place. Always and forevermore, Paul is pointing back to the ministry. He's pointing back to sharing the gospel. He's pointing back to the good news. This brings us back to Paul's final push in these six verses putting in play a powerful example of what true light is and what it can accomplish. Verses 4-5, 2 Corinthians 4-5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We're going to stop right here for a second because this is beautiful. It's beautiful because of the four at the beginning. In my mind, it reads, despite all of these previous things with the water and the blind, we are not proclaiming ourselves, but our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This next part took some massive humility where he says, like just continuing on with the beauty of this verse, with us as your servants for Jesus. With us as your servants for Jesus. No matter what you Corinthians say to us or do to us, we will still proclaim Jesus. We will still do anything for you to help you be here for you as a parent would even with a wayward child. All for the sake of Jesus. It always comes full circle to the gospel. The true force that compelled Paul at all times, the force that should compel us at all times, Is that what compels you at all times? Is it the gospel that compels you to get up in the morning? Is it the good news of Jesus Christ that pumps you up and makes you want to go out into the world? Or is the world what compels you? Is is the water what compels you? The good news of Jesus Christ is hard to swallow for a lot of people. It's about giving up, giving to Jesus, uh, understanding who he is and giving it fully to him, I pray that it compels you to go out into the world and share this good news with people, the only news that actually truly saves. I pray that is what compels you. Paul continues on in our final verse, verse 6, saying, 
for God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Again, starting with four. Taking us back to the last verse where we see Paul proclaiming Jesus. Being servants to the Corinthians for the sake of Jesus and the good news. Now giving one more example of what keeps them going and and the reason they don't give in or give up. And that is the light. The last word we talked about, the light. Pointing out that the God of all creation who brought light out of darkness has laid this light on their hearts to share with the world. Share true salvation with the world. The new covenant that saves. Not the old law that has faded and merely pointed to a savior. This verse encompasses the entirety of the reason we call the series compelled. We, no matter what, no matter how hard it is, no matter how broken we may be, in season and out of season, by God's mercy and grace are compelled by the glorious light. The true light that saves. The true light that extinguishes the darkness, that never waters down truth, that is not blinded by the world. The only thing in this world truly worth giving your entire life to. The only thing that gives life true purpose. That is Jesus Christ and what he did for us. He is the light that breaks through it all. The question here for you is, is the light that we just spoke of what compels you, as I said previously? Or is it one of the other two things? Now as we close, I want to remind you of the water, the blind, and the light. If these three things were roads, which one would you rather walk down? The one where you see what you want? The one where ignorance is bliss? Or the true path that can be hard, can hurt, but is the only true way to life? What compels you? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, again, we thank you for this time. God, thank you for this passage, Lord, that uh, threw me for a loop initially, but I got to see master me by the end of it, God. Just the reminder of your good news and the proclamation of the good news and defending the good news. Jesus, thank you so much for living the perfect life, for dying on the cross and rising again for me. God, I pray if there's anyone that is watching today that has not truly given their life to you, that has not truly accepted this gospel, that's living in the water, that's living blind, God, I pray that you would stir in their hearts right now. God, remove the virtual reality headset. God, pull them out of the water. I pray that they would truly understand your good news today. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes.